As a Papuan Australian woman, I want to start this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land that I live, work and create on. The podcast, Our Women, Our Stories, is created on tourable land and I pay my respects to their elders, those who have left us, those who are with us today and those emerging elders we are yet to meet. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. This has always been and always will be Aboriginal land. Listeners, thanks for tuning in to part two in this episode. Previously, we last heard from Auntie Delene Briscoe about her experiences of arts as a form of cultural healing. Let's get back to where we left off. I think, and you've got to think about all them babies that are, are being born into that now and them just only knowing that, that being, you know, that's so valuable. Like, you can't put a price on that. That's something that you just, it's special, you know, that's what we've always done and I think like that work is so important it's so lovely to hear that there are people you know out there doing that because I think that you know with the way that the world is moving and you know everything so seems so fast that when you hear stories of like of that sort of work happening it's so important you know you gave me goosebumps talking about that (laughs) thanks (laughs) It is. It's um. I didn't, you know, and I went down there. Um, well, pre-COVID, it would have been. <laughs> um, and I, I saw a group come out from that country, and they were performing, and I was singing these songs that I wrote with them, and I was like, wow, you know. And there was all these little ones. That's what you know. They're all. That's all they know. They don't know a world without that song. You know, it's it's really so powerful. Yeah, you know, it makes you gives you hope for the next generation too. For sure, Marley, could you think of um, a project that you've done recently where um, I guess the community that you've been working with has experienced healing, or maybe for yourself? Not so much a project, but a time. It was during the bushfires in um, late, or no, it was early twenty twenty, and Coffs was hit with the bushfires quite severely the surrounding areas um so the local dance group they um were dancing up on Seely's lookout which is a really gorgeous headland with a lot of cultural significance and they were dancing for rain and it was just such a beautiful moment but also very upsetting at the same time because when countries suffering it affects us we hurt with country so just you know being up on this headland and watching them dance just so we can get some rain so you know country can heal it was just it was beautiful and upsetting at the same time and around a few weeks after that after more bushfires and the drought um, nation dance came around which was just this um, nationwide dance where multiple different like nations and tribes danced at the same time for rain so the um, local dance group gathered the community and we all went down to the beach and 
dance together for rain and after weeks of no rain it just suddenly started to pour as we were dancing and just photographing that just seeing people crying and just the joy of having rain it was it was really touching and I'll never forget that just being able to be invited along to photograph that and just being a part of it myself with dancing and my children it was it was incredibly special yeah it's um I remember I remember watching that and just um the feeling of how everyone how we are we're all one with that country yeah and how yeah. when that country heals our mob it's a better closer step eh, towards um healing. yeah yeah that's right and you know a lot of us it, it was it was really painful to just look out our window and see you know the ash falling out of the sky and animals about just looking for any kind of water they can get like the koalas and roos just seeing how distraught they were because animals you know they're our kid we've got to look after them to make sure they're doing all right with their homes burning down and it was just something that's just stuck with me it was so beautiful but just so emotional at the same time and for me that's yeah one of the most healing um, and memorable um you know jobs and sorry <laughs> like photography i've got to experience such moving stories and i've been getting like goosebumps every time you share one of these stories um it's so special as well to be able to connect um with others in that way i feel and just that understanding that everyone in this room has had um it's hard to try and explain that to others who don't always understand that power that it has i suppose if i were to play the devil's advocate which i did in my last recording um i think about those people that doubt the ability that arts have to heal um, community and I suppose what has been can you think of a time where you've interacted with someone or a group that has doubted the power of that healing and what has been your reaction or what do you wish your reaction was um, or what is something that you want them to reflect on when you meet these types of people that doubt the power that arts has for healing for community um yeah <clears throat> there's a couple of things that come to mind there was a project that i i did um part of cairns indigenous art fair was to do uh it was connecting a song line that had been disconnected for like twelve thousand years <clears throat> and um they it was mostly um so it was a torres strait uh group from labuog island and a um, the Yirinji Gimwe Wallabara Yirinji clan from Cairns, and they had this song line that connected them up right into PNG. It goes all the way up into PNG and then into Indonesia and Asia. This song line, and um, there was some doubt about that actually coming together because uh, it's not very often that Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander cultures mix like that or blend in that way up there and so um to pull it together i had to get the elders from each group and we had to meet 
regularly and there was um, it was a journey <laughs> definitely um, a learning curve for me also to learn about um, the, the dynamics of the elders in the room um, also to move the um, one thing I learned about that was moving the meetings around because some people won't speak on another man's country so we're going to move it back over to their country and they can talk on their kind like things like that I learned in that process but there was um, also a little bit of doubt from other mobs saying oh you know you'll never be able to get them all to cooperate and work together but I knew this is about a song line and it's got nothing to do with anyone's prejudice against anyone this is um, this runs deeper and it's it's an older law than um, what you guys are talking about and I just continued even though it sometimes it was really exhausting and you know I just was like well the, you know um, just put on a big feed every time and then next minute everyone was bringing all their grandchildren all <laughs> to our meetings because they knew there was going to be a big feed at these meetings but it just created that really um, well it's also uh, because from each side they were bringing their children and grandchildren and so it created that um, that sense that we're all in this together we all have grandchildren that we want to pass these stories on to. We all have um, children that we want to carry on our tradition and legacy. And I think that in some ways, um, yeah, I had to just work out ways to break down those barriers without any conflict or with very minimal conflict. Um, but in the end, it was one of the most powerful um, performances I've been a part of. Um, and, uh, yeah, but there was a lot of doubt at the beginning that it would come together. But, um, but, you know, again, music and our culture, it always wins and it did again. So, um, that's probably the, the biggest example. <clears throat> there was another one, um, that happened actually this year when I tried to put on a, um, survival day event and there, there was, um, a a worker, non-indigenous worker, who was. It felt like there was a lot of barriers being put in place for me to put on this event, but um in the end, it, all all the comments that came back from our mob was that that was the most healing experience they've ever had. Especially, there it went from the elders in our community all the way to the babies and teenagers, and and so um didn't make any money. It was just all about making um, beautiful music and giving space to our elders' voices um, on that day. So, um, but there was a lot of barriers put in place for that, but the community pulled together and made it happen. So, um, you can, yeah, and it came down to the arts again, like that's what brought everyone together was a, um, a concert. So, yeah. I've, there's definitely um, been times where I've had to um, just push, keep pushing forward through those barriers, because um, I believe that, and and that's a, this you know three main reasons why I do um, what I do is because of my wawa, my spirit, um, healing, and legacy. They're the three main things that. Um, that drive me to continue even through those barriers that people put up. Yeah.
I love that. And I, I love this question as well because I think that um, for me, like, it, I think 20-year-old Ginny would have had a very different answer for this question, I think, um, because um, I just think how lucky we are to be able to connect with something that is that unexplainable. You know, I, I used to get really defensive about it. I used to get really upset when people, you know, doubted what that connection was or how, you know, when you can't, when you have something so special that it's, you can't explain to people who aren't in that circle, it's like, you know, I would get really, really upset about it. And now I just think like how special it is that, I can't explain it to you. That's how in the in 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 a circle we are, you know. And maybe it's not for you to know or understand, and that's fine, you know. I I couldn't. I don't. I try to come at that sort of stuff now from a different angle. Like it's not for you to know. It's not for you to understand. If you are so lucky to be invited into that and see that and feel that, then you're a really lucky person. Um, but I think as well, like, you know, the arts and our culture is so, um, is so important. I think now more than ever, we're seeing like these sorts of through social media that we're being able to connect, I think on a totally different level and having access to so many artists and photographers and, you know, performers and you can jump on Instagram and see us all on there and, um, you know, or on Facebook. And I think that um, a lot of people who don't, who aren't black or, or maybe don't understand what that connection is, not, I think instinctively um, will think of black arts or black artists as dangerous because essentially we've created a space that negates negativity you know it's we're narrating the story you don't get to narrate that this is ours um and I think that we negate the negativity and we create um positivity and I think we create um a space that is familiar for us we don't try and you know move it at an angle that makes you feel good as a non-indigenous person or as you know and who's not in this circle I keep calling it a circle now um if you know, if you're not black, then um, we're not going to cater to you because this is for us. You know, it's a space um, that we identify with. And I think that it's so valuable because in a world of full of spaces that we're, you know, foreign to and unfamiliar, whether that's the education system or the justice system or, you know, all of these other areas of the world that we're we're not really um ask for our opinion or ha how we'd like to see things work this space um arts and culture is for us and we we get to dictate and narrate that story so i think um i love it when people feel uncomfortable i love it when they doubt these sorts of things because it's not for you to understand and if it was um then you would know, you know, and I think that um, I try to do that in my work and in my business, you know, I try to challenge um, the wider community or the wider audience to face 
and do, you know, some of that difficult work of interrogating their biases and those racial microaggressions and, um, you know, the, I guess the rhythm of the daily life, you know, and where you sit in that and if it makes you feel uncomfortable and, and you choose to still be uncomfortable, then that's fine too. Like that's, that's what you'll do. Um, but now I just try and think of it on a different level, which, it, like I said, 20-year-old Jimmy would have come for anyone, but now I just think, you know, it's not for you to know or understand. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. This is just not the bus for you. And I absolutely agree with Ginny and that it's not for those who don't get it to understand. Like I am in a very white male dominated industry and I've had so many, like it's been many times I've had people question like, why don't you, why do you only just photograph your culture? Why aren't you expanding? It's a bit racist that you're only photographing Aboriginal people, you know, trying to like turn it around on me. It's like, well, you you don't understand my connection to my people, my country. They trust me to photograph these moments. As like with the um, nation dance story, you know, um, it, the local community asked if those who wasn't Aboriginal to sit it out and to not dance, and they didn't They didn't get it. They thought, oh, well, that's a bit racist. Why can't we join in? Whereas they do not have the same kind of connection that we do to our ancestors and the country and they just, yeah, didn't understand it. They didn't understand why I was, you know, asked to photograph it being a black woman and, you know, well, sometimes you just, you don't need the answer. We have, it's so much more than, you know, you'd ever understand. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this, it's like trying to describe a feeling that you've, that no one's ever felt before, you know, like, how do you, how do you, you know, that, that feeling of like, when you're, when there's a dance ceremony and you're sitting there and you feel the vibrations of the earth under you as you're sitting and the and the and the sand being kicked up and the emotion that the tears well up in your eyes like how do you explain that to someone who doesn't have a connection to a country for 60,000 plus years you know exactly. yeah it's it's unexplainable and I think that that's I think important as well like that a little you know I I'm not against gatekeeping like I'm I feel like that is for just for us and whilst it would maybe make people you know by by explaining these sorts of things to the white community or you know the non-indigenous community um made things better I just you know I don't know but um that feeling that I get I know I look at my sister and and I can see it in her and I look at my grandmother and I can see it in her and I think like this is just for us, you know, and I don't want to have to explain that to anyone else. You mob have access to everything else. Like let me have this, you know, let us have this. And, you know, again, like I just I think that for a really long time I just wanted people to get it and now I understand that it's not for them to get as long as we get it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean some of the things um, that I've come across is, um where no one else can be the expert in our culture but us 
And when non-Indigenous people step into that space, they come in um, threat, feeling threatened already because they aren't the expert. Right. It happens a lot. And they start, you know, power tripping and making stupid decisions and saying things that out of out of line. Um, sometimes I don't feel like they understand how deep seated that racism is inside of them uh, mm. because it's intergenerational, and they don't even know why they feel threatened. Mm. But um, but at the end of the day, they can't be the expert when they step into our space. And, and so a lot of the times I've had to pull people up on that. You know, I'm pretty easygoing, but there's some times where you've got to pull people up and go, no, this is not your space, not your place to talk. If we want to know the answer, we'll talk to the elders or we'll talk to, you know. So, um, yeah, there's definitely some times where you have to put people and let them know that they're, they're, they're not the expert here. And that I think that really because in this... Um, system that we live in it's all very western and um and even in our arts practice it's based on a western system but we're we're starting to take it back to our ways you know where we consult with our elders and we make time to talk to each other and um we don't rush the art because it's got to go by a deadline actually it works on our time and um, I think that too is a big thing for non-Indigenous people to understand is that, um, that when we practice culture, our arts, professional arts and culture, they're not separate things and mm. one and the same. And so they don't have a place or a space in that to, um, to have an opinion on it. And um, that's something some people find it really difficult to overcome. Is that they can't? They're not the expert in this in this space. They might have, you know, how many degrees under their belt, but they don't have a degree in Yalanji culture. Mm. So, um, and neither do I, for that matter. Like I'm still a young, and as far as my elders are concerned, you know. So, um, so anyway, that's something that I see um, underlying with some of those reactions you see, and some of those, um, you know, the way, that, like for instance, that that. Um, show us trying to put on Jan 26 uh, and all those barriers that were put in place. Um, the, the, um, he, the guy that I was talking with, he was trying to pull the professional card. This is how we do it in the professional space. And I'm like, buddy, I've worked in some of the biggest theatres in the world. I know what professional work looks like and feels like and you're not being professional right now. So, you know... Um, he tried to pull that on the expert card and so, you know because in his little safe zone that's what he could hold on to but i don't even think he realized um that he that he was doing that because it's just a natural reaction mm. to um not wanting to support blackfellas um to have a voice on that day yeah i feel like even just in this one hour that we've been speaking together i've actually learned so much more about what this project's purpose actually is because um, like a lot of my questions have been about well how do we fix the gap how do we fix the people that have created this system and created this systemic racism as well but it's actually um, just from speaking to you it's actually how do we support our community to work in this space am I somewhat on the right track in that 
um, your work, individual work, is not actually about fixing the white space, but supporting your community to, yeah, to succeed as well. Yeah, it does for sure. I think, like, you know, um, like Mali, I think we all work in industries that are obviously dominated um, by non-Indigenous white people in this country. Um, and so just slipping into that wouldn't make sense for me either. You know, it's not what I'm I'm here to do and that's why I think, like, I try to use my work to push the black agenda, which is, you know, all the things that are important to me and my sisters and my family and, um, you know, my nieces and my nephews and, you know, uh, you know, my grandmother and that's if I, I don't think there's a black business or another creative that I can think of that is trying to be mainstream, you know, like I don't think that's the goal for us. I don't, you know, and maybe they are working mainstream, but it's different, you know, and um, for sure. So I agree. I don't think it's about trying to fix the fashion industry to be more inclusive and diverse. I think that just by existing and creating a space that other black followers can come to and go, okay, well, you know, Marley's a photographer. I, I can do that. Or I see what she does. And I, I want to make my family feel this way when they look at their pictures or, or be documenting moments that weren't documented before. I think that's beautiful. And I think we'll always do that. And um, I, I don't, I just, I mean, obviously the the systemic racism that happens in every other facet of our lives. Yeah, for sure. We're trying to push through and break through those boundaries. And um, but yeah, I think I think it's more about not necessarily taking a seat at the table, but more about creating the agenda. Um, at the table and that we're we're spearheading those conversations that we're the ones and I don't think um we're we're settling for anything less than that at this point and that's just my opinion um but yeah the conversation continues in part three of this episode with Auntie Deline, Ginny and Marley tune in next <laughs>